Welcome, everybody, and thank you for coming out to the first Skybrook Spaces. We're going to be holding these every Wednesday, 10 a.m. The idea behind Skybrook Spaces is very specific to provide high-quality educational and entertainment content for spaces. It's something that I personally believe is missing in the ecosystem for spaces. I think there's a lot of interesting spaces out there. But for the most part, uh, people don't address real issues. Everything is a little bit wag-me positive. It, there's kind of a group of cool kids clubs that all kind of go around to each other's spaces and say how great they all are. That's totally fine. Uh, there's room in the ecosystem for that. But this is going to be a little bit different. This is more geared towards bringing the top people in the world to talk about complex or interesting subject matter and to look at things from a little bit more behind the scenes and a little bit more from who the top people in the world or top operators are in the ecosystem. Today, we've got Jimmy and Igor uh, here with us. And the idea behind today is talking about what it means to launch an NFT brand as an investor, what you should look for in an NFT brand that's being launched, how to avoid a scam, and then uh, thinking about like some of the check marks that you want to check off it, when you are thinking about either investing or creating your own brand. Um, the way that I kind of thought about this in my head was that we have Jimmy, who is one of the longest founders of NFTs. He created Avastars. He's also an investor, and he's launched many other projects between Avastars and today. We have So he has a very long track record of launching and operating companies. We have Igor, who runs, or Igor, maybe I mispronounce everyone's name, um, who runs Freemint NFT. And he's seen many, many uh, brands be launched through his website. And then you have my perspective, which is that of somebody who spent about two years as a full-time investor in the NFT ecosystem, and then just recently within the past week, uh, I launched my first NFT and, you know, reasonable levels of success, uh, which is Skybrook. Just a really quick uh, intro. A lot of people have been asking, what is Skybrook? Uh, Skybrook is a private club for top minds in the world. And there's kind of two sides to Skybrook. There's the public side, which is what we're doing here. Uh, this is going to be educational, uh, showing off some of the great, minds that are in Skybrook and showing off some of the great minds from around the world. Both Jimmy and Igor are uh, members of Skybrook, it, but that's the public facing side of Skybrook. The private side uh, is about leveraging the network from within. It, so the public side builds brand awareness. That's a newsletter with 27,000 subscribers. That's it, these spaces. And there's going to be uh, more value adds that are going to come into the future. And then on the flip side of that, the internal side has uh, ways for the network to help one another. You know, in the past few days, I've seen people connecting for running Dookie Dash and some successful runs on that. I've seen people looking for jobs, connect with like CEOs or companies that are hiring. Uh, we've seen people talk about like kind of needs for different things. And we've got an ask and offer channel. And then every week we'll be holding a private video conference to address some of the more challenging issues from within the group that are issues that other people might be having. It, that being said, I'm going to pass it to Igor and Jimmy. I'm going to start off with Igor uh, so that he can introduce himself. Love to hear how he found out about NFTs, what made him launch his product. And then uh, after that, we'll go to Jim. Hey, guys. And Josh, you were right with the second pronunciation is Igor. 
Um, but I mean, not a problem. I've been a lot of people read it that way. It's a pretty weird name. Um, a lot of people think I'm Russian. I'm not. Uh, I'm English and Dutch. I live out in the U.S. now. I have since I came to uh, to college out here. Um, I got into NFTs through Gabriel Gabriel Layden actually. When uh, when I first met Gabe, we were uh, on Clubhouse. So this would have been back in 2021 when Clubhouse was cool. And uh, I was very lucky. I was a college student, um, and I managed to kind of sneak onto the app through a mentor who invited me. And then Gabe and I met in one of those kind of clubhouse rooms, much like the room we're in right now, and, uh, and started talking. And at that time, he was getting really into NFTs, and, uh, and it became a very, very popular topic on the app. So um, we had like a lot of these kind of clubhouse rooms around NFTs at the time. So it's funny seeing spaces become so popular because it actually reminds me of like, over, I mean, I guess over two years ago now when, when Clubhouse was, uh, was first really getting into the topic. Um, so it's a very, very similar kind of thing that's, that's happening again now with spaces. Um, so yeah, in those rooms I met Gabe, we, we started talking about NFTs. Um, he was incredibly excited and he got me very, very excited too. And it wasn't long after that, that, um, I got like really into them formally. So, um, the company behind free NFT has done quite a few different things and not a, some people know this because some of the people who are in the free NFT community have been following me for months, you know, I mean, like almost, probably like seven months at this point um, in, terms of, uh, in terms of holding our like, core OG uh, pass, which has done a few different things before we launched free NFT. So they've seen us do, uh, do some, some different projects already. And, uh, and yeah, we, we've, uh, we kind of started out thinking about some pretty interesting data problems in NFTs um, that we we were interested in solving because we were doing trading ourselves during the bull market. Um, we, we were making uh, pretty good money doing that during the bull market, but we always wanted to have a product uh, in the market that people used. And, um, and we just found that the kind of trading stuff we were doing was extremely competitive and, and actually not a lot of people use these tools. Um, it really shocked me actually recently to find out that Blur only has about 7,000 daily active users. Like that is tiny, tiny amount of people um, using it. Obviously like a very valuable audience, but, but a very small one. Um, so, you know, we, we kind of were getting, we were kind of realizing that these opportunities we were looking at weren't so great. And, um, and luckily around the time, and it's sort of been about August of last year, Gabe launched DigiDigaku and saw this like incredible and explosive um, success around fr uh, free to own and uh, and the Digi projects and uh, and he turned around to me and was like, "Dude, this free thing is going to be enormous. It's the next massive thing in NFTs. It's going to transform marketing as in general." And we'll get we'll get to all of that I'm sure when we talk about this today, Josh. Um, so, uh, so he turned around to me and was like, you need to, uh, you need to get into this as soon as you can. And, uh, and as you can kind of tell, part, a big part of the story, this theme is, is Gabe dragging me in the direction he's going. And I'm very, very grateful for that because uh, without him, I would still be kind of a loser college student, I think. I'm, I'm 24 now, but um, I, I certainly wouldn't be in the position I am now without him. So I have to give him a huge amount of credit. 
So he gave me the idea of a free NFT and uh, we immediately started working on it. And, uh, and yeah, we got the opportunity to launch uh, DigiVillains on the site. We've got Castaways coming. We have a massive announcement later today. I think uh, there's about 7,500 people who've responded that coming to a space I'm doing later today. Um, so yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a really, really exciting um, growth in the platform we've seen. And a lot of people are coming to us now to, to launch their projects. And, and that's kind of the, the story there amazing and you know one of the things i've found that's really amazing with both you and gabe is just the acumen for marketing right like it, watching gabe go from i don't know five thousand twitter followers what's he have like seven hundred thousand now and you've got yeah. it, you've been growing your nft fall or your twitter following at seventy two thousand. um just crazy to understand and from my perspective I, I strongly agree with the premise that you and gabe have and you know both of you are personal friends of mine as well but I think that people fundamentally misunderstand the power of the marketing behind NFTs. And I think that NFTs shouldn't functionally be the product based on speculation, secondary trading, but you should have actual businesses and revenue models baked into it. Jimmy, I, I'd love to pass it to you. You're one of the top experts in the space. You helped me out to you know get through some of the stuff on launching Skybrook. I really appreciate you spend like an hour and a half just sitting and chatting with me. I'd love to have uh, you share your background for everybody. Sure. Uh, thanks for having me, Josh. Appreciate it. It seems like you built a great community. Just getting started, but uh, I really love all the uh, activity and excitement around it. So um, for those of you who don't know me, uh, I am Jimmy.eth. Uh, and I started a I started collecting NFTs in December of 2017. Um, I had just built uh, Ethereum mining rigs a couple of weeks before that. Um, after hearing about uh, Bitcoin on the Appalachian Trail about six months before that. Um, and uh, I was pretty interested in the entire blockchain space and technology. And I had picked Ethereum because I knew how to build a gaming computer. So I figured I could just add in five more video cards somehow. And Miraculously, I did get that done and I ended up building, you know, I guess I used about 30 cards to mine um, over the course of about two years. And uh, but pretty quickly when I got into the whole space, it was right when everything was in 2017 was the like first big run up of, of uh, Bitcoin and, and uh, crypto in general. And I was investing in everything. I mean, I had I invested in just about everything but Bitcoin because I was mining Ethereum. So I was buying all these altcoins and all these things. And um, I got over it pretty quickly. I realized a lot of those ICOs and everything were pretty empty and probably wouldn't go anywhere and probably didn't need a token for that. Um, but like the NFTs really caught my attention uh, in a big way. Uh, I've always been interested in video games. I used to go to arcades with my dad in the 80s when I was a kid. and um, We had computers and all the way growing up and we had you know going all the way back to the nintelevision i think which predated the atari 2600 um i i've always been a gamer and i was always encouraged to have fun and play games along with you know work hard and everything else um so for me when i saw nfts uh i was almost immediately red-pilled uh it was crypto kitties that i noticed first the premise was cats on the blockchain um, and, uh, I saw that you could take two NFTs and, 
uh, do a blockchain transaction and create a new NFT. And I thought this is incredible. I can like create new assets from existing assets and this is the future. Um, and so I went pretty deep into all of that. I didn't understand it at first. It took me a couple of months to find the community. I didn't, I used discord for gaming and I didn't realize there was NFT communities there. And, uh, once I found my people and the community and everything else and found other people who could help me understand it, uh, that's when things really took off. That was around February, 2018. And, uh, I, I, I watched uh, one of the other legendary traders, Pranksy, come to life, like literally um, on like Valentine's Day uh, in 2018. There was some, there was some, someone launched a script out there. Uh, and I'm sorry for diving into the details here, but in CryptoKitties, the way that it worked, their, their drop mechanic was every 15 minutes, they would drop a Gen Zero kitty, um, which was like the basis to all the other kitties, you, it all started from these Gen Zeros and bred up through all the generations. So those were the most valuable ones. They were the ones that were dropping from the contract and they were going to drop for a year straight, basically. So I think like something like 30,000 dropped or something. Anyways, these Gen Zeros uh, were a finite resource. You only could get one every 15 minutes. There was thousands of people that were had eyes on this, tens of thousands. So um, there was some, and, and they would sell for like maybe like half an ETH or something like that. Uh, and there was some whale that day who decided they wanted to get a lot of Gen Zeros. So they wrote a very poorly optimized script where they would pay up to 1.5 ETH for uh, a Gen Zero. And the Gen Zeros were selling every 15 minutes for about 0.7 or so. And uh, the problem with the guy's script or the, the lady's script, whoever it was, was it would literally buy the ones for 1.5 before it would buy any of the other uh nfts so anyways pranked being the you know shrewd guy he is saw what was going on and just proceeded to go buy the ones for less and sell them for 1.5 and just kept doing it and kept doing it and kept doing it i should have done that that day but i just had one gen zero and i didn't want to lose it um anyways uh from there uh i got to know a lot of great people in the community um i learned that crypto kitties did not in fact store their cats on the blockchain um they store genetic string that a human can't really read um, but there's no like metadata on the blockchain the images aren't on the blockchain this bothered me because that was the reason i was like so excited about nfts aside from this value creation that it was all on chain and it was there forever and i could pass these silly objects down to my family and for generations and they know exactly what it is i bought because it was all there on chain anyways uh that continued to bother me. And uh, a year later, uh, I started to build Avastars, which is an entirely on-chain PFP project um, that has a lot of elements of CryptoKitties where I felt I was improving on CryptoKitties as a huge degen in that. Uh, I have probably still over 3,000 CryptoKitties. Um, and uh, by 2020, I had gotten it built most of the way and we launched it and um, really enjoyed being able to bring what I felt was an important, uh, I don't want to call it innovation, but an important part of what makes NFT so special, um, being able to have that information in a trustless manner stored on chain forever, right next to the NFT itself. Um, being able to bring that to life was really rewarding. And um, I, went, I went on from there. Uh, we built Avastars. It's, we're actually getting ready to do uh, 3D models for all the existing Avastars in March or so this year. I say March, so it probably slips to April, but 
we've actually been working hard on that. Um, even though our secondary volume is very low and it's a almost, it's a three-year-old project. Um, it's, uh, it's still very near and dear to our hearts. We care very much about it. It's, it's going to be there forever. So we've always taken a long view on that. Um, and since then I've done a lot of other things in the space. I could probably talk for a full hour, um, about just what I've done. Um, but just to like, kind of try to briefly sum it up so we can talk about some other things. Um, I went on to launch Nameless, um, which is the parent company of Avastars, but our main product on the market today is called Stealth Test. It is a private test environment for Web3 development. Um, today we support, support Ethereum, uh, IPFS, and Arweave private nodes for you to go and test on demand in the cloud. It's really easy. You know, it comes with preloaded wallets and an easy faucet to use. And if you're developing in Web3, um, chances are you're using a public test net. And you shouldn't be um, just because it's so important to be able to get all this stuff right and not have to do it in a way that's in the public eye that could expose multitudes of risk for your project. So that's what I'm doing today. I also uh, helped advise and co-found a couple other projects in the space. We can talk about those if you guys want to. Um, but I'm just in general, like very much uh, um, I believed that NFTs were the future for the last five years. And I continue to believe that I feel like we've got a really strong chance to get this technology out there into the world. And um, I believe there's so many benefits and efficiencies that we can gain and fixes to systems that are broken without these tokens um, that I do think that, you know, in the next five years, everybody in the world will be interacting with NFTs in some way, even if not directly, or it will be indirectly or directly and transparently they just become a part of our lives, um, just like the internet is and uh, JPEG is a file and NFT is just like a means of like conveying a lot of different stuff. So I'm here for it. I love it. And uh, thanks for having me on, Josh. Thanks, Jimmy. And one of the things that I think about a lot is when you think about ownership, ownership underpins currency throughout the history of the world and monetary supply, right? So it, there's a very strong correlation between it, the strength of the private ownership of real estate and the strength of a currency in any given country. So to phrase this in a different manner, <clears throat> the easier it is for a private citizen to own a piece of land and make capital improvements on that and have liquidity, the stronger the currency tends to be in that country. This is a correlation. I think there's a causality factor with it. I bring this up because I strongly believe that NFTs and digital asset ownership will enhance the value of cryptocurrencies as an actual currency. Because for one of the first times ever it, with Ethereum, uh, when you're buying NFTs, ETH is the settlement layer, meaning you say you're spending an ETH, you're spending five ETH, you're spending 100 ETH. And so we're denominating things in Ethereum. That's very different than transactions we've seen where like, you know, maybe you have a Manhattan condo sell for $16 million in Bitcoin, but the settlement layer is always USD, meaning that it, they're pricing it in US dollars and it's just however many Bitcoins come into play. This is a subtle nuance, but it's really important. And this also follows my perspective that in the next 10 years, the value of NFTs will usurp the value of the S&P 500, meaning like over $38 trillion. It, but that's kind of a long-winded thing. I don't want to digress too far down that path, but I really agree with what you're saying, Jimmy, and I, I really appreciate that. I want to pitch the question to each of you if you had one piece of advice for 
somebody who's looking to invest in a new NFT project and for someone who's looking to launch a new NFT project. Okay, so kind of two pieces of advice. Uh, what would those two be? I'll go to you, Jimmy, and then uh, Igor, I'll pronounce your name correctly. I apologize. Uh, we'll go to you next. You know, uh, I think generally in any investment that you're planning to make, um, you should invest in what you understand and know. And, if, and so go to things that you are innately drawn to, um, instinctually drawn to and um, work there first. Um, if there's something that keeps piquing your interest, but you don't understand it, work to understand it before you uh, ape in, um, so to speak. Uh, and I would say, you know, uh, look for the people who are building for the long term. It doesn't guarantee like success or floor market prices or anything like that. But, you know, you're if you're in the space for a while, you can start to identify the people who are going to execute and who have some really novel ideas that are worth uh, supporting. And, and for me, I've been able to shift a little bit to supporting projects I want to see succeed more than just trying to speculate on the ones that I know will or should. Um, which is a nice place to be. Um, but I know not everybody has that um, flexibility. As far as uh, launching your own project, uh, go slow. Uh, build your community uh, one by one and uh, understand what it is that they want. If they like your ideas, um, I'd solicit a lot of feedback um, from early community members and get those early supporters in the door. Um, and make sure you have something that's you know worthwhile, worth building. And then on top of all of that, keep it as simple as possible because it's really hard. We're in an attention economy in a way and you need to grab someone's attention. You need to keep it. And you do that with simple and easy to understand ideas. Uh, complexity is not generally rewarded by markets yet. So um, even- Can you give an example of someone that was successful with a simple concept so that people can kind of quantify it in their head? Yeah, uh, it's, uh, it's a popular example, Board Apes Yacht Club. Um, they launched a 10,000 PFP project with commercial rights. You own the art, and that's it. That was the premise of the project to start. Um, if you take my project, Avastars, um, I could literally list off 50 different things the project does that want, those things might appeal to individuals, but they're exhausted by the time I get done telling them about all the awesome shit. Um, it's really simple. Uh, the, the premise is the board apes premise I was able to explain in five seconds. Um, that's simplicity. Uh, you know, uh, when you have to start burning a lot of things or getting into some of the other complexities of, you know, no one cared, for example, that board apes, if they were on chain or not, you know, to me, that's very important, but most people don't care about that. So, you know, when we were focusing on, you know, we have on chain PFPs and there's all these cool things that it does. You know, people and we did have commercial rights as well. Uh, we were one of the first projects to do that. Maybe maybe the first PFP project to do that. But that didn't break through and wasn't as important. Um, one, the Avastar art is different than the uh, apes art. And the apes were very in meme um, for the time. And uh, it had a broader appeal visually to start. But then it was simply this is cool looking art. It has commercial rights. And that's it. Um, so that's the simplicity I'm talking about. Your messaging has to be dead simple. You have to be able to explain the project in seconds and not have to sit there for 20 minutes and think about how you're going to explain things. That's my advice. Love that. Love that on both sides. Igor, what, what are your thoughts as an investor uh, and as a project launching? How do you see those two things coming together? And what do you think people should be looking for uh, if they're launching? And what should they be looking for if they're looking to invest? 
So, okay, well, um, if, if I'm not an investor, first of all, so my investment advice probably sucks. But what I'll tell you is how I look at projects that want to launch with us. Because to me, it's really, really important, especially right now, that people see us doing a stream of really high-quality launches. Um, and, uh, and we want to build a brand around working with the best um, people, like the best projects that are coming out and doing free NFTs. Um, so to me, the, the only thing that matters to me when I'm looking at one of these projects right now, because I want to try any kind of free NFT you want to do, I want to try it. You know, the whole gamut, gaming, music, experimental stuff, art, whatever it is, we want to experiment with it with you. Um, so with, uh, with that, the only thing I really care about is finding high-quality, serious founders who want to build something long-term. And, uh, and insofar as I can identify that, then, you know, that's, that's interesting to me. As 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 an investor, I would assume that's probably a similar kind of metric because I'm trying to provide a similar thing to my community, which is helping them join, you know, communities that are delivering value to their holders in the long term. So um, so that would be the only re- the only thing I really care about is like really really serious founders, basically. Um, and then and then as someone launching, um, what would I? I think. Uh, is is the advice here like what how, like what I would frame as as the most important things for success? Yeah, yeah. If someone came to you and they said, "Hey, look, I've got this concept, whatever this would be." What, what advice do you have for me? Meaning, like, it, what would be like the most important thing you think that somebody who's launching their first project should be focused on? So I think I think Jimmy actually had a, a really great response here um, that captured. That captures my thinking too, you know, probably in a better way than I would have articulated it. Which is, you need to to communicate something very simple. And I think one of the things that made us successful, or at least successful so far, has been you can look at my profile and in three seconds you know exactly what I'm doing, because it says I give you free NFTs. Free NFTs all over my my bio, my bio, my banner, my website domain. You know, the whole brand is oriented around this very very simple idea of free NFTs. And as soon as you say free NFTs, you don't even need to say, I give you free NFTs. You just say those two words together and people are immediately energized and excited and want to know what's going on. So, Dude, dude actually, you're a perfect example here. You've done a great job just keeping it really simple. So just thank you. Echo that. I appreciate that. Um, and, and then on top of, so on top of that, that, that piece of like, you know, very, very simple core idea. And you've got to find an idea that people care about. And that took us quite a while because I'm, you know, I'm interested in a lot of the kind of intellectual tech problems that, um, that NFTs can, can kind of afford um, to creators, which is like, you know, I've, I've built on-chain messaging protocols that allow you to message any wallet with ETH embedded in the message. I've built APIs that analyze Twitter data for NFT projects, um, all kinds of, you know, different stuff. I built, I built an on-chain game on top of Loot when that was a thing um very much like kind of wolf game before that happened and but what i realized was that these kind of complex problems kind of obviously make it difficult for audiences to engage and a lot of the um, stuff that i'm interested in as a builder is not something that the average nft user or let's talk about the next million 10 million 100 million nft users care about 
You know, they don't care about a sentiment API. They don't care about an on-chain game on loot. Um, but they do care about free NFTs. So a lot of the kind of issue I had was kind of dumbing down my, my interests to thinking very simply about uh, what problems that, uh, that I could solve for you know, the average person in NFTs, not the highly sophisticated trader or the highly sophisticated kind of DeFi gambler style um, user. So, yeah. That, I, I do want can, can I can I add on yeah. to that? Because both things are super important. Like we need builders to be able to create innovative technical things that right now, unfortunately, like create collectors and investors don't care as much about. But it needs to be simple so that we get the adoption at the same time. You need both. Like, yeah. So I just want to like use Avastar Absolutely. as an example. For me, like on chain was important because I knew that we needed to set some early trends on the innovation and the tech in the space because as adoption grew, whatever we were doing was likely to become the popular way of doing it. And as we see today, like IPFS is the popular way to store. Thank God we have that. CryptoKitties wasn't even storing their stuff on IPFS. They were just storing it locally. But now we see projects doing on-chain as well, and that's out there. And I feel good about that because I know as more new collectors come into the space, there's now a chance that they're actually going to collect an on-chain NFT and maybe be delighted in the way that um, I was when I eventually launched Avastars, but that I was when I thought that CryptoKitties were on-chain. Like, that was exciting to me. And so if more people can get that excitement down the road because of that innovation, even if it's not the primary reason they purchased to begin with, I feel very satisfied knowing that uh, the world the world of NFTs exists now with on-chain NFTs um, as well. So you're, I, I completely agree with you too. And your, your journey sounds similar to mine as well, man. You like, you're interested in some of these technical aspects and everything else, but you've landed on free NFTs because it's easy and you can help the most people like with that messaging rather than, you know, on-chain yeah. uh, messaging protocols for Ethereum, which I, by the way, I might've used your service at one point. I thought that was cool. Anyways. Uh, yeah. yeah, both are important. Like we need builders who care and can build cool stuff. The magic, the X factor is when people can build in the really cool stuff and all this tech stuff, but keep the messaging really simple and not like bore like the, you know, everyday users with that sort of information. Yeah, no, I, I think that's really, really great insight. And I feel like I'm learning just listening to the two of you. I'll throw uh, my thoughts into the mix as well. It, but I do want to say that uh, we're going to, as long as it's okay with you two guys, we're going to open up the stage for some questions. So if you do have a question and you want to raise your hand and talk with uh, Jimmy and Igor it, and myself, uh, please go ahead and put your hand up and we'll be selecting a few people in the next couple minutes. I think simplicity is incredibly important. As somebody who's been a full-time investor in NFTs for about two years, I'll kind of focus on that because... I'm a week into running uh, an NFT project and I, or an NFT company, I should say. And I think that I've got some insight on that. But as far as um, as far as things go with being an investor, the most important thing that I think about in my head is I look for an alignment of interests and I look for some levels of clarity for what exactly is it that I'm getting. Right now, I think that there's a really compelling argument for why games are going to be really big in NFTs. <clears throat> so to me, the idea that I can buy a book at the bookstore, and when I own that book, I can read it, I can sell it, I use bookstore 
I can lend it to a friend. That makes sense. That's how ownership works. When you buy something, you own it. If I do the exact same thing uh, with a audible book from Amazon, I can't lend it to somebody. I can't resell it. And if that service is to go down, I, I lose my investment in that. So it's more of an ephemeral product. Throughout the history of humans, we've had ownership. It, it, it hasn't been companies that are owning things, but it's people that own things. And I say this because this is what I'm thinking about with digital gaming or uh, digital assets within games. If you were willing to pay call it $100 to buy a magical sword in a game, whatever the sword does. You'd be willing to pay $100, hypothetically. And you'd be willing to pay that $100 for, in an ephemeral nature, meaning that it goes to zero. It's logical to me that if you have the ability to resell that same sword for somewhere between $80 and $120, all of a sudden the value of that sword is going to drastically increase. Uh, how much does it increase? That's a question that I don't know the answer, and that's going to be predicated on how the game operates. But ownership is more logical to me than not ownership. So I, I think that this year there will be some breakout video games that attach NFTs. And I don't know who exactly will be successful, but I can wrap my head around the investment thesis of why that would make sense. And then the other thing I look for is not just an investment thesis, but like an alignment of interest with the founding team. So when you have an alignment of interests, it becomes much easier for them to win while you win. And a divergence of interest, meaning like if they win, you lose. That is the thing that I try to avoid the most. It, because when you have symbiotic relationships, <clears throat> you're going to find that uh, people are naturally going to work together more and it's naturally going to be better for the founder and the investor or the buyer of the NFT. So uh, with that being said, I see we've got a few uh, Skybrook members up on stage. We're going to go with Fidgetal. Uh, then we're going to go to SV has his hand up and then we'll go to Literati. Morning, brother. Still uh, figuring out what this... Uh... This membership is, it's my first one joining, so I'm actually uh, fundamentally interested in new uh, dynamic ways of, of using NFTs. Um, it's actually been a focus. I think one of the, the metas of 2023 is going to be marketplaces and, and uh, forms of information uh, categorizing what NFTs are, so that there's a, a de-risking to the acquisition and, and, and sale portion, uh, and more of an understanding of what you're buying so that fundamentally the more you understand what you're buying and the more you understand what you're selling the more both sides of the equation can utilize and maximize the experience so that's something i'm looking forward to i got a, a skybrook reveal nft is that actually from you or is that no 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 there there's only one uh there's only one skybrook pass there's no reveals there's nothing else and we just got a check mark on our uh, creator so it has to have a blue check mark there's no surprise mints there's nothing else uh, beyond that so um, I just want to be very very clear please be careful with that um, Vigil do you have a question for Jimmy or Igor? I do awesome, awesome, I do awesome. um, I just wanted to clear that up first I, I don't play with my NFTs that much and I don't use them on OpenSea so I just have in my wallet so I'm just making sure um, I wanted to get you guys thoughts on uh, my thesis, uh, both in investing in businesses as well as NFTs in general, is that uh, onboarding is is of a critical nature and simplicity is is key to that. Um, 
I love the uh, the ownership nature of assets, especially in a gaming setting. But I do think that the, that due to the complexity of of interoperability, that custodial uh, businesses will be the best solution for that. So you still own your NFT, but they're in custody with a third party company that helps you basically access that when you want it and when you need it, instead of the complication of of, of injecting it into new ecosystems. Uh, and I think a very similar uh, thing that I'm interested in, and I'd love to hear your thoughts, is about revenue streams being on chain related to, at least to the beginning of the IP that you're using and businesses generated off of that and the impact that revenue as a, as a, a data ownership source on top of your NFTs uh, is probably one of the most interesting things moving forward as we slowly continue to get our forever NFTs and flip and, and, and sell them less. Hold on, man. I got to clean up. I just spooged all over the place as you were talking there. Um, that's the future, dude. Uh, like, absolutely. Like, we need to have custodial services for uh, all the users to be able to do this. We can't expect people to store their seed phrase and everybody to go out and buy a fucking safe and put their shit in it and um, to do all of the things they have to do and to get scammed. So it's pretty obvious to me that the banks are going to have to play a pretty big role here whether or not there are existing banks that like pivot and start to support these crypto assets or if it's places like coinbase become like our banks so to speak and and do that i, I do think uh coinbase has missed a huge opportunity over the last two years to, to provide these custodial services that you're already talking about and there are efforts towards that IP layer you're talking about where you can actually like track and see that revenue stream. Um, it's still pretty early. We've just started to see some companies delve into that. I think one of them is uh, it's like Aspen studios or Aspen is working at Aspen NFTs are working on this uh, IP layer for licensing and everything else. Um, I personally have a lot of IP uh, NFTs and am working and doing licensing deals with them. Um, but it is all off chain right now. Um, I, I've seen actually some people do some on chain uh, IP stuff and ended up getting scammed because they like signed a contract and then ended up taking their NFTs they were intending to do IP stuff with. So for now, the off chain part is uh, is good for that. Um, I think once we have these custody services in place and you have delegation set up properly and you can authorize things without risking assets, then we can start to get into a place where we can start to put a lot more of this value um transparently on chain rather than it being you know obfuscated right now by you know off-chain contracts and deals and things like that so dude so yeah you, I, i'm i'm really a hundred and like that's my thesis as well basically. so hit me in the hit me in the dms josh this is actually what i'm doing with joker so uh not shilling but uh, i'm happy that you, oh, yeah, uh, man. That you approve cool Cool. Uh, Fidgetal, awesome question. I'm going to pass it to SV. And by the way, my take is the same. I think centralization is a really important thing from security. It's just, you know, demonstrably easier for a company that has an expertise in security to specialize in that. Uh, and with larger resources, like one of the biggest things that I think is really commendable by uh, Coinbase is to my knowledge, they haven't been hacked in a way that's been adversely affecting the, you know, the ownership of the assets for the users. So I think that, you know, as a whole, whether you're looking at like Coinbase or you look at how Fidelity is doing it, it, these centralized solutions 
are going to be imperative, especially as these assets increase in value. Where right now, like the NFT ecosystem is a couple billion bucks, how many billion? That's a little bit, you know, more in question, but somewhere between one and probably a hundred billion dollars at the maximum. Uh, so a relatively small ecosystem when you think about comparing to like a multi-trillion dollar company like Apple. It, um, but I think as these things grow and they become more valuable, it, insurance, centralized solutions, these are all going to be really important. SV, I'm passing it to you. Can I just follow up real quick and then I'll, I'll bounce? Sure, sure, quick? sure. Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, and I think what's important in, in a, just a thought process, planting a seed, I think it's really important for the same idea to, ha- to happen with digital assets, meaning uh, NFTs. Like, I'd rather have a custodial store that holds all my, like, let's say, swords, characters, skins, that takes care of the interoperability within metaverses or or games that allows me to safely store my my NFTs as as semi physical assets to interop- interoperably play between ecosystems as well. Not Dutch, not just. Um, coins uh, and and the assets that we're used to thinking about when we say digital assets. Hundred percent agree, and that, that's an awesome take. SV, up to you. What's your question? Hey man, uh, thank you for having me. It's an honor being up on stage with such legends. Uh, my question, uh, essentially, a bit of context before that. Uh, I think that twenty twenty three onwards, and you know how the world's been changing, and AI coming, and you know, I feel like there's a severe and extreme paradigm shift about to happen with the way the internet works. And uh, I just wanted to ask, and I think that community-based businesses, no, Web 2, Web 3, no matter where they are, they're going to be the ones that perform the most. That's why we see content creators worldwide coming up with the most disruptive in, uh, b- businesses like uh, Prime Energy has kicked Gatorade in the, in, in the head. And so my question leading up to essentially here is, uh, Jimmy, I know you have a lot of experience, uh, Igor, you as well, Josh, everyone on stage. I want to ask, how would you, if a Web2 company came to you and asked you that they want to utilize blockchain technology to transition into a more community-based business rather than just retail, how would you help them with this transition? Or how would you advise them to build that community when all they've done Is you're you're cutting out uh, with the meat of the question. Is is he cutting out for anyone else? Yeah, he cut out for me too. Yeah, kind of missed the payoff. So I'll give you a chance to respeak, but I think that your question is: if a Web two company came to either of the two of you, what would your advice be for how they should enter the market? So let's assume that's the question, and you know maybe I'm wrong, but let's go. I'd, I'd like to hear Igor speak first since he's literally bringing new businesses into into it. Um, yeah, so the this kind of actually dovetails back to this question you asked me about, um, you asked Jimmy and I about launching uh, as a as a project, Josh. On top of kind of this the simplicity thing, I think one thing people are quite nervous to do in uh, in NFTs is market extremely aggressively on Twitter um, because they think it makes them look stupid or and, and, and people won't like you if you do it. That is the reality. A lot of NFT elites will look at you like you're cheating because you're engagement farming and you're doing everything you can to market. It's not cool to market as aggressively as I do or as Gabe does 
Um, but it, it's, it's how you win. You know, I had 500 followers three months ago or something like that. And, uh, and I'm going to grow, continue to grow incredibly quickly every time we do a launch on the site because my Twitter is a key part of our marketing stack as a business, if not the kind of core of it. And, um, and yeah, so, so there's this, this with, with new people launching, I'm always going to encourage um, them to market as aggressively as they can to take every, to adv- advantage of every opportunity they have to, to market their project. Um, different ones are going to have different advantages. And then, and then, yeah, I think free NFTs should be a core of every business's strategy. Even an artist, <clears throat> I would argue, can use free NFTs to grow their audience and potentially monetize them in the future um, in other ways. So, so yeah, I, uh, I, I think free NFTs are incredibly important. I haven't seen anything as kind of explosive as free NFTs in the market, especially, you know, we're in a bear right now and, and there's still so much interest. Um, so my advice would be, obviously, come to me. I'll help you launch your NFT on, on my website and we'll grow, um, we'll grow you uh, really, really quickly doing that. One thing I want to say on this is to highlight the importance of aggressive marketing. Take a look at Elon Musk. He did almost all the marketing for Tesla via Twitter, and they don't spend marketing dollars on advertising. Like he's not cool in the car industry. He's not in the cool kids club. He's not with GM. He's not with Ford. He's on his own island, but he's doing more EV sales in the United States than like every other company combined. And I think, you know, this is something I've seen. I've been highly contrarian in the NFT ecosystem. I say very unpopular things, but they're true often. Sometimes they're not. But, you know, but I say truths that are unpopular. And so you have to be willing to do what it takes to win, not to fit in with the cool kid club. But I'll pass it to Jim. Um. I'm going to cheat a little bit here um, and say, because one of my examples, you'll see why I'm cheating. Uh, I would say for any existing brand with existing community coming into the space, uh, you need a long-term plan and it needs to be uh, well thought out and um, there needs to be an ability to execute. Uh, Of course, uh, if you're an existing company with uh, a bunch of uh, customers and you probably have that, but the, you should not do an NFT as your first thing. Um, you should find a way to uh, integrate the ecosystem into your community initially without forcing NFTs down their throats. And so I have two examples here. One is Reddit's digital collectibles. And you might, might see why I just cheated. Um, because they didn't sell NFTs, they sold digital collectibles. Um, they did it on the Polygon blockchain. They made it as seamless as possible for the Reddit experience for the users. And that thing blew up. Um, it wasn't a free NFT. It was a paid collectible. It was a digital collectible. But they stayed away from the the pitfalls of saying NFT, which is still not a popular term. Um, so they essentially did not drop an NFT as they're doing NFT as their first thing, even though they did. So that's the bad example. But I wanted to prove a point there. And the second example is one people probably aren't familiar with and they really haven't executed on their plan, but I've had the opportunity to sit down and speak to them. So I will say there's a company called Farfetch that's really big in the luxury fashion space and they provide a lot of platform technology 
to a lot of large brands, including like LVMH, Tiffany, like literally any luxury brand, you go to their website, it's pretty much the e-commerce system built by Sparfetch that's that they're leveraging. And one of the first things that they did as their strategy, and they have a very, very long strategy here. It's like the rest of the existence of the company. And um, it's not like they're not just dabbling, they're going in. Um, they have a, I, I'm an investor in Outlier Ventures and uh, Farfetch has a uh, base camp that they're running individually um, inside of our incubator just for fashion focused brands, for example. Like that's one of the things they're doing. But the first thing they did is they enabled crypto payments on uh, all these websites. So you can go buy a Louis Vuitton bag or whatever with crypto um, and like a lot of other luxury good items for thousands of brands. And so like, even though Farfetch has been in this Web3 space for over a year, they've not done anything directly with NFTs yet, but instead are providing a payment layer for a large portion of the luxury goods market in cryptocurrency now. And they're incubating companies who want to build their own projects in the Web3 space as well, along with a multitude of other things that they plan to do down the road. Um, so the, my point there is, is like, don't just fucking dive in. Um, it is experimental, but if your brand value um, is high and your reputation is high, then make sure you're like thinking things out really well um, and thinking on a long, long-term plan. This isn't going anywhere. This isn't a fad you have to capitalize on right now. This fad is, this stuff will still be here in four or five years. So plan accordingly. That being said, I do agree with Igor that, you know, if you are going to drop an NFT as your first project, uh, it should be free and it should reward your existing community members. Love that. And I've been talking with a few larger brands, like privately from teams to other organizations. And, and what I would say is for the vast majority, the Web Zero, One and Two companies that have come into the ecosystem fundamentally misunderstand the appropriate use case for NFTs. They're trying to drive profitability off the NFTs, which functionally means you're trying to, for the most part, if you're not giving an actual utility, you're trying to encourage speculation and you're trying to use that as a revenue generator. I think that's 100% wrong. I, I think the value of NFTs that we will see into the future is that this is a way to galvanize, strengthen, directly connect with your ultra high-level supporters that love your brand. This is a way to communicate directly with them. This is a way to empower your super fans to work together and to connect them. It, this should be seen as a marketing expense for these multi-billion dollar companies. Like I've watched 10 different companies that are publicly traded come into the space and just do it wrong. It, they, they have like a small division where it's like a skunk works team that is looking to generate like a profit. If when the first company that comes in and maybe it's Porsche because they seem to be doing a little bit more activations, they have like a 14 day refund policy. I know their mint didn't go perfectly. So they, they probably should have done a free mint. I, I would have rather seen them go on. Uh, no, Igor's they, site. They, they don't have the 14 day return policy. You waive the 14, 14 day return policy. That is uh, inherent in UK law, quite the opposite. Ah, oh, well, thank, thank you for the correction. I, I may have misread that. Um, that that's suboptimal. Um, but I, I haven't seen a company yet do it. And when a company does do it, it is going to shatter what people expect in the ecosystem. Like, I don't think 
anyone understands how powerful NFTs are going to be when people figure out how to actually utilize them. Uh, I think, you know, maybe the best company to do it so far might be Starbucks doing their Odyssey program. It, but that's more of a, you know, digital collectibles. But we're going to see, I think in the next year or two, you're going to see one or two big companies just destroy what it means to interact with NFTs in a positive way and reshape our ecosystem. Uh, with that, I'm going to go to, I believe it's Liter Literati and then Chan, and then we'll go to Jonah. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Uh, uh, what question do you have for Jimmy and Igor or myself? Yeah, thanks for bringing me up, Josh. Uh, nice to hear from uh, Jimmy and Igor here. Uh, I think they're great examples of, of uh, successful NFT projects launch and grow, and uh, congrats for that. Um, great, great, uh, uh, great spaces here. Uh, I just I have a view that launching F uh, NFTs uh, or brand or in Web three is not that different from launching on Web two. So just adapting a few things and the particularities of of uh, NFT projects. But my question here, uh, you were just talking about it, but I'd like to go more specific on that. Um, uh, I'd love to hear uh, from from you guys. Uh, what do you think of the importance of uh, hype in, in the meaning of a paid marketing? I'm talking about advertising or influencers really paid uh, for launching an NFT project. I have uh, I have been seen so many like potential good projects that fail uh, because they have prematurely launched without having a proper uh, hype around. And I've seen also some many. Uh, like projects that have absolutely nothing as a as a art or utility or whatever, but hype, and that uh, were successful. So um, I've been uh, constantly asked by founders and and from projects that I used to advise on uh, how how should these projects be prepared on a budget standpoint for hiring influencers or uh, investing on advertising. Uh, for before launching, or even grow more their follower base before launching. How much this influence on the success of the launch? Um, how much is important this hype in your opinion? I'm gonna go first, and I'll pass it to the other two. My opinion on this is that you need to build demand in an organic manner, and. I tend to think that you need to be very thoughtful with if you're paying people who you're paying and how you're doing it. Um, there's a group of about five, seven influencers out there where anytime they promote something, it's a red flag for me. It's dog shit. They'll promote anything that's paid. And I can almost guarantee you that those things fucking drop. Uh, when, when I watched uh, Art Gobblers and every fucking influencer out there was it saying it's going to be the greatest, uh, I don't know what it was, at 14 ETH trading day one, that project, it's great. They did a lot of secondary revenue, but so many people got hurt so badly that your project is functionally stunted. If someone buys in at 12 ETH and it goes down to three and they lose 70% of their money, you're going to have somebody who's not happy with your brand. And so I think it's a balance of looking at how to create enough demand to accomplish the thing that you want, but not creating a non-sustainable hype cycle that puts you, you know, gives you a couple million bucks today. And then for the rest of the life of your brand, you're playing catch up because you're having to try to justify somebody who paid 
I don't know, 10, 30 grand for your NFT that's now worth two grand. Uh, but I'll pass it to Jimmy and Igor. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree with Josh. I think uh, there's a lot of really bad um, kind of paid influence for shilling in the space. Uh, I'd encourage everyone to do it organically. Um, it kind of goes back to probably some of the marketing advice that we already gave between myself and Jimmy. Um, you know, the, the challenge is that uh, it's hard to differentiate, I think, as an NFT project. Um, but there, I know there are a few levers, you know, you can pull. Uh, one is being free is a really powerful marketing lever. Um, it's still working. You know, it's not going to work forever. So there, there's kind of this window right now where free is, is explosive and everyone wants it. Um, but that won't last forever because the volume of those projects is going to increase dramatically. Uh, the projects launching that are free, that is. So um, that's one kind of window I see for new projects that are trying to get attention and grow organically. Uh, it's free, obviously. And then um, there's uh, there's also what I said earlier, just be the most aggressive marketer you know, on Twitter. Um, very, very few people are willing to do that. It's not a question of if you can do it. It's only a question of if you're willing to do that, I think. And, uh, and the templates are all out there. Look at the accounts that have grown the fastest. I mean, I copied Gabe. He has the best templates for Twitter marketing, I think, on the internet, probably. So, um, yeah, I mean, if you're willing to be super aggressive, you're willing maybe to tap the free lever. Not everyone is. Um, I think you can succeed without paying anyone. We haven't paid a dime in marketing spent. Um, and we have, you know, uh, multiple hundreds of thousands of monthly active users on the site. Um, I have some views on this in general. Uh, I would say like, don't listen to any one person or any small group of people about what to buy or not to buy. Um, anything that's being overly marketed, I would be skeptical of in general. Um, you want to look for sentiment and we're talking earlier about, building brands and i brought up community and building your community um, marketing should not come from you should create assets that your community will use to market for you organically um, you should create messaging and things like that that will be amplified by your community um, but it should not be it, it the real success comes when everybody's excited about it authentically and has experienced some success in the project whenever you see projects these days that are overhyped and oversubscribed and have all these huge like allow lists that are way beyond what can be minted um the excitement often dies down um pretty quickly um you see things run up so fast these days that did not used to happen before board apes like board apes took six months or four months or five months to get up around three four or five ETH. Um, you know, they were trading sub one ETH for weeks and a month and a half after. And um, it was the general excitement of community overall that was the marketing arm of Yuga. It's the community. Yuga does a good job putting out like solid content, but it's the community that's like really amplifying all that and genuinely amplifying it. Yes, bag holders, bag holder bias exists. You know, it's hard not to be biased. You want to like, buy things that you think are going to do well and you want to tell other people about it. So I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that's what's right with it. Um, so, I mean, if you're looking to market in the NFT space, what you're looking for is to, to make the sentiment shift one 
towards positive and keep it positive towards your community. And that's what you should be focused on at all times. You want people saying good things about you and not bad things about you. Um, and uh, you don't want to do it in a way that is overly um, um, corporate or over the top marketing. You want to do it through the community. I say this because that's where the long-term success comes through projects. It's not really amazing marketing that makes a company or a project valuable. It gets people excited and then they in turn talk about it. That's what's valuable. So that's my insight on it. Awesome. I'm, I'm going to move it on. Great questions. Great answers. Uh, you two had great answers. I, I answered. Anyone can think what they want of that. We'll pass it to Chan, Jonah, and then we're going to go to Ben, uh, who is the founder of Killabearsk. Hey, good morning, everyone. I appreciate you bringing me up here, Josh. And it's uh, really, really exciting to uh, be up here with all these legends in the space. And I, I, I guess I have more of a, a, a something to react to that, that we talked about a little bit earlier that's sort of my thesis and maybe tied into sort of a secondary uh, question. I guess the first thing is, is I think what you're talking about, Jimmy, specifically with the Reddit example and what sort of Fidgetal was talking on as far as onboarding and education and and, um, and sort of like what is the way that we get Web2 users into Web3 is I feel though is that, you know, in the early 2000s when internet companies were first coming out, everyone was talking about it, it was an internet company, right? These, this, you know, they were marketing themselves as internet companies. They were worried about the technology of the underlying product rather than what the actual products were, right? And I think that's sort of the stage we're at with NFTs where, um, for example, with Reddit, you, you're seeing that, you know, there were people that were having the collectibles that didn't even realize they were NFTs at the time and were like, you know, concerning and fudding about the fact that these are NFTs. Wait, I thought these were digital collectibles. And they're like, yes, it's actually both. And, and I guess my point is, is that I think we need to get to a point where people are using an underlying technology or product without actually having to worry what the actual technology behind that is. It's, we don't care that it's an inter internet company nowadays. We're just using their products because it's a good uh, service for us or a good product. Um, what is your sort of reaction as far as getting NFTs to that? And do you think that it requires some of the same sentiment? Could you, could you just put that into like a one sentence question? Yeah, so it's yeah, easy. yeah for sure. For sure. Yeah. So uh, the, the idea behind true adoption is that the fact that people will be using NFTs with whatever products it is, either in gaming skins or memberships or et cetera, um, just, for using a good product, not because it's an NFT. It is, so the question is, how do you do that? I, I, no, I it's, it's a reaction to, the, to sort of that sentiment, right? Like, yeah, I, that's I mean, what all we're this all has talking about all this has to become transparent, right? Like, we're it's we're talking about like people just basically going on their phone and doing what they do every day, but NFTs are now underneath of all of it. Like, in some way, NFT, cryptocurrency, just the Web three layer of the internet is ingrained and built in. This leads to things like you know, not having a wallet that's strictly Ethereum and ERC-20 based. Instead, you have an Omni wallet that can now do things and do automatic, you know, Uniswap conversions in the background if you're trying to do something. And, you know, for example, Doodles just launched on Flow. Um, and then it's actually like you have your ETH assets and you go over and you connect your ETH wallet and then you're, you know, set up your Flow wallet and, or sign into your Flow wallet. And then when you do transactions, it's actually doing a transaction on Ethereum and then it's doing one on flow and your assets end up on flow. It's a pretty smooth experience, actually, for a cross-chain experience. I, I was really pleased and delighted with how they handled that. Um, but 
uh, it still required me to set up an additional account and to interact with this old account and all those things. In the future, that should just happen in my account without me having to worry about any of those things. It will just be completely transparent. Um, and uh, so I see the same future there that you were trying to lay out if I understood your question correctly. Awesome, awesome. Uh, let, let's move it over to Jonah. Jonah recently launched uh, Real Third Web as a free NFT. Love to hear your question. Yeah, um, not so much a question. It's a good talk. Uh, more a statement around custodial wallets with gaming. Um, there is one point that people seem to miss in general, and I, I've worked with several custodial wallets already on our show, so I have a pretty somewhat of a good understanding of how they work is just because they're custodial does not mean um, they transfer assets very well. And the problem with most custodial wallets, and this is like whoever solves this is going to make a lot of money. And likely what will happen is they'll become a bank because this is effectively what a bank does, like a gaming bank. Actually, it's a pretty good idea. I might even think about it myself. But um, thinking that out loud, uh, essentially one of the things is that it holds, but it doesn't transfer very well. Because uh, what happens is just because custodial, all it's doing is holding the asset. But if you want to transfer it or trade it, there's only really two options currently. Either um, you trade it within the custodial ecosystem, which then is just a centralized marketplace, which is fine. That's not like a problem. And you can do that. Like you can have a trade within a custodial marketplace. But if you want to trade it across like Ethereum or any other chain, it needs to be non-custodial, meaning you have to transfer it out of the custodial wallet. And then... Again, unless this is where the banking comes in, unless the custodial wallet assumes control of even the transfer, which currently none do that I'm aware of anyway, uh, you have to move it into your own wallet. So even though you have a custodial experience, you still need to know how to use the actual decentralized wallets. So you're not really alleviating the problem. You're just delaying the problem. So unless someone's handling the transfers, the custodial wallets are very good just if someone wants to experience one game, not multiple. Appreciate that. I think that uh, I think it all depends on how the custodial wallet ends up being set up, right? Like once you it, we're probably when it comes to NFTs at the beginning of the end or sorry, it, the end of the beginning. So to me, this feels like we're if we were in like web, we'd be in like the early 2000s. We're kind of just coming out of a crash. And I think that we're going to start to see the bar get raised a lot for what the next things are. And I think that people need to expect more from founders and NFTs. They need to expect more from uh, custodial solutions. They need to like, I just believe firmly that people need to expect more. Igor, I'm going to pass it to you and then we'll go to Ben. Yeah, I wanted to react to this because it's something um, we've been looking at a lot. Obviously, you know, I want to onboard millions if not a billion people to nfts through my products in the long term and um and i don't think that's going to happen with metamask wallets so we've been thinking a lot about what uh what custodial is and uh and and i think there's actually some interesting distinctions that aren't often made when people talk about these wallets um that jonah is alluding to um and uh and i want to expand on a little bit so a custodial wallet technically means that the uh, the the platform that is you know o- um, offering the wallet is actually taking custody of the assets which in the US would mean you need a money transmitter license as well as a bunch of other regulatory compliance stuff it's extremely expensive and time consuming to be a real custodial wallet 
Um, and, and it's not available to a lot of businesses that, are, that want to just like start up and, and build a, a wallet experience. But there is kind of this in-between stage where you can, I think, build a very similar and interesting experience for users who are new to crypto and NFTs, which we're calling managed wallets. I think other people are calling it a similar thing, but it isn't as well-defined, where it's kind of semi-custodial, um, except the, the user is still fundamentally the custodian of the assets, but the wallets are created and managed through, uh, through like an email password 2FA pair as opposed to key, a key pair. Um, the user has the ability to pull their key and, and move the wallet wherever they want to, but, um, but they're not interacting with the, the blockchain um, through that kind of key signing pair. They're using kind of more traditional Web2 security models to use their wallet. There's a company, an amazing business. It's called magic.link. I recommend anyone who's thinking about this, check it out. Um, they, they offer this as a service to businesses where you can spin up a wallet um, with, like for a user with an email password pair or any kind of, you know, any kind of combination of Google single sign-on or, um, or Facebook sign-on or whatever. And now you can build kind of a walled experience for that wallet that they've now spun up with just an email and password inside of your product. So maybe, you know, you allow you within your product, allow them to take certain exchange actions or um, you allow them to do certain transfers of assets, but not others. And you can kind of curate this whole experience and it's going to be less than, you know, 0.01% of users in the long run who even know how to export their wallet to another app. And I think that middle ground is probably uh, where things are going to land for now. Um, I don't know, like in the long run, how easy it is going to become for, for apps to integrate these kind of really custodial solutions where it's fully managed, insured, you know, uh, the, 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 the assets are literally in the custody of, a, of another party. But the kind of this intermediary ground, I think, is what we're interested in exploring now. And I think a lot of apps will be because, one, you don't need all these licenses. The user is technically still the custodian, but you can you can build this very simple user experience around the wallet. That, that's awesome. I mean, I think these are really, really thoughtful uh, things to be thinking about for the future of the ecosystem. Very quickly, I'm just going to reiterate that there is a $750 giveaway contest for whoever writes the best thread that recaps this and posts it on Twitter. Uh, I, I'll decide who's the best, just whatever thread I like the most. It purely subjective, not objective. It, so if you are interested in winning that $750, please do a recap of the spaces. I'm going to pass it to Ben. Ben, what's up, man? What's your question? This is going to be the, uh, we're going to do Ben, and then we're going to do quickly Voitech, and then we're going to wrap the spaces up. So, First off, I wanted to congratulate you on a very successful Mint. I'm grateful to be a part of it, and I've really enjoyed a lot of the conversation and Discord these past couple of days. Uh, I actually didn't have a question. I was going to react to the discussion around uh, hiring influencers and you know what success could look like with with mints and, and launches and NFT. Uh, I'm happy to speak about it, but uh, yeah, go. Conversation, go ahead. the conversation did move on. Um, so I think, uh, you know, most people around here are, are familiar to some degree with the killer bears and we were a free mint in mid April. So it was a little bit ahead of the meta and um, you know, for us, what worked for us and I, and I think uh, has worked for many is to build very organically working side by side with the community 
uh, obviously we've put a lot of assets into the community's hands in the way of, you know, there are JPEGs in a bunch of different formats, banners, a lot of different creative ways to help expand the brand. And I think but one size doesn't fit all in NFT. I think every collection is different. I think the skills of the founders are all different. Uh, the communities are different. Uh, but I, I think that we need to be thoughtful. Um, I think we need to be considering the community and how they feel we're serving them and listening to their needs and building side by side. I think at this point, everybody in NFT, especially through this market, wants to feel seen uh, if you're a part of something. So um, while I think there's probably a place for some paid folk, you know, we have still haven't paid a dollar for marketing. We've just kind of been in the trenches, uh, team, uh, whales to, you know, smallholders. Everybody's got a voice and uh, it's, it's proven to, have been, uh, you know, a nice experience for us. Um, and I, I, Josh, one thing you did say was that I think, and it's not only for 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 PFP and 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 things like that. I think this entire space uh, is growing fast, and there's a lot of areas outside of uh, you know the art. And I think with you know with with just onboarding uh, normies into it. MetaMask, I do agree, is intimidating. I've onboarded a ton of, of in real life friends and the whole experience is difficult between buying ETH on Coinbase and then Coinbase choosing to lock it up for seven days and then finally letting them go to MetaMask and they just can't, can't quite grasp the whole concept and the way it all works. And I think a lot of talented entrepreneurs and builders are gonna be coming into the space. Uh, and I think everything is going to level up a lot this year and next year and, and uh, I'm obviously very bullish on the space. I've devoted my life and career to it. And uh, yeah, just glad to be here. Hope everybody has a great day. Awesome. Uh, th thank you for the kind words about Skybrook. Uh, we're going to go to one last question, which is Voitech. And then we'll let uh, Jimmy and Igor recap uh, any closing remarks. And then I'll close it out. Uh, hey, everybody. Thanks for having me, Josh. Congrats on the launch. Uh, to start off, I just wanted to uh, congratulate Igor on the headline of free NFTs. And I think it's worth to notice that uh, this is a pretty unique situation where the slogan is doesn't only tell you about the product, but actually conveys the value that users get from the product. And I think that's that's why it's spreading so quickly. And it's a pretty unique situation. Uh, and it's an important thing to notice that, uh, especially in, in Web3, it's important uh, what you decide to work on, right? And this is something that people don't really pay much attention to in many cases, because you have many choices, right? And it's about picking the one that's going to catch the most traction in many cases, instead of just grinding on the one that you picked in the beginning for some reasons, right? Uh, so, so in your case, Igor, I think it's like a really, really cool one. Uh, and my question is, uh, you know, what are the strategies that you guys found? If you can name one or two uh, marketing strategies that really gave you the most uh, traction. Uh, I'm actually coming out with a product that's going to be mapping Web3 users and allowing them to communicate. And and I'm looking for, since this is the first time I'll be doing like a, 
and offering to the general public and trying to promote to the general public. Uh, I was wondering if, if you can give me some shortcuts, how to, uh, what to do, what are the like the best strategies in the space? Uh, is it like the daily grind and there is no getting around it? Or there are some nice tricks or not, some nice patterns that, uh, that really give you the best results to, to reach the general Web3 space? So just to keep it uh, very concise, what and you know we gotta wrap things up in a minute. What let's just say like one point that you would give uh, for Igor and uh, Jimmy, if you guys just want to do like one point for this uh, to keep it very kind of concise as we're wrapping the spaces. Um, thank you for the kind words. I appreciate that. Um, and I do. I think we are very fortunate that no one grabbed the free NFT brand before we did, because it seemed quite obvious now in hindsight. I think, but. Um, Again, like our, our focus has been on doing things simply and aggressively, and uh, and that is quite unpopular. So, um, so I think maybe that's been our advantage, as I don't really mind not being liked by some people in order to achieve something bigger in the long term. Um, so, on, on the point of what really works, I might I have a quick question back to you, which is, you know, what is the goal? Because every project has like a kind of discrete goal, and and we built. We have like maybe two main ones. One is like growing the Twitter following and the engagement on Twitter. And then another was growing the traffic on our site. And we had two distinct strategies for each of those. Um, so if you, if you define the goal clearly for me, I could give you like one thing I would recommend. Uh, the, the main goal is going to be attracting more users to our site in order for them to sign in with their wallets and position themselves on a map and then maybe trying to reach out uh, to others who already uh, connected on, on our site. Yeah, yeah, okay, absolutely. Um, so in that case, uh, if it's about the site traffic, uh, we, we actually had a free NFT that we dropped on the site that people interacted with every day and upgraded. Um, and the goal there was to drive daily active users and retention on the site. Um, I wouldn't do it the way we did it because we did it with gas. They paid like one to $3 a day upgrading it. Um, and, it, you know, you can do it gaslessly. But I think NFTs kind of afford you an interesting opportunity with incentives to drive retention and DAU back to the site if you can create an interesting NFT experience that revolves around continued usage. Um, so we had, we had really quite a lot of success with that, even with the gas. Um, that would be my recommendation there. If it's Twitter, like, just scroll my feed, scroll Gabe's feed, look at what's working for us. It's, it's, it's pretty out in the open. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, thank you for the great answers. I feel like I've learned a lot. I hope everyone here has learned a lot. I want to pass it to Jimmy. Uh, and then uh, Igor, I'll pass it to you. You guys can have any closing remarks you want to have. And then I'll uh, have mine and we'll close the spaces out. And by the way, thank you guys so much for coming out. This has been a fantastic spaces. Thank you to all the Skybrook members and all the other people listening with great questions. I mean, just really, really sharp group of individuals here. Uh, Jimmy, I'll pass it to you. Josh, uh, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Igor, it's great to meet you. Learn a little bit about what you're doing. Super impressed. And uh, yeah, appreciate everybody coming up and interacting with us today. Uh, you guys asked great questions or had some great um, additional stuff to add on top of what we were discussing. Um, you know, and uh, I just want to thank everybody for taking their time. Yeah, I mean, I uh, I feel very honored to be on stage with Jimmy. He's a real OG. I'm not an OG in the same way. So 
I love meeting people who've seen the space evolve for so many years. So it's been a pleasure sharing the stage with you and, um, and a pleasure meeting more of the, the Skybrook community. Um, yeah, I mean, if I can maybe leave on one note, it's if you do want to do something interesting and you think I could help, I'd love to hear from you. Um, there's now an emerging club of people who are, are trying, you know, very different things in NFTs. And, uh, and I, I'd love to see more people kind of be a part of it. And um, yeah, that's uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you, everyone, for the great questions and feedback. I'd just like to say thank you to everybody. To kind of close it out on the subject matter, I think that you have to be firm in your convictions and what you're building. You have to know what you're building. You have to be willing to be unpopular in the short run so that you can win in the long run. I think uh, one of the main takeaways and something I've agreed with for months, if not years, is that it's more important to stand firm in your integrity and what you believe in than to go with the flow and just kind of follow the crowd and be more in what's in the cultural zeitgeist of the moment. So I'd close it out just by saying thank you to everyone who came out to listen. And thank you to Igor and to Jimmy and to all the questions. And uh, it was great to have you today. We'll be back next week, every Wednesday. Next week, we'll be back with uh, Raising Venture Capital. So the three speakers for next week will be Mike Dudas, who's of Six Man Ventures. He runs VC Shop. Uh, Joe Hipsky, who has raised $45 million as a co-founder of IRA Logics. And Mikhail Gervich. Uh, he runs about a quarter billion dollar private equity fund that buys crypto, does VC investing. And we're going to look at it from all angles. And yeah, I, I've raised like seven million in my last venture for a co-working space. So I have a little bit of knowledge of raising capital for like a seed round. But again, thank you to everybody. Look forward to hearing from you or seeing you or talking to you next week. And we're going to wrap it up. Thank you.